So if you would again, take out your Bible and let's turn to Genesis chapter 19. And we will today be looking at verses 30 through 38. Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 30. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters. For he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie down with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your reading of the word. We pray now, God, for the preaching of your word. Be with this your servant. We pray that we might be blessed today. Uh, may we grow in our understanding and our knowledge. May we cling ever closer to our Savior Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, this is uh, one of those texts that, um, you know, <laughs> one, if you weren't going through the entirety of a book, you might say, you know, I think we'll just kind of skip over this one, right? This is. Th- 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 this has stuff in it that we just... I mean, there's children here. <laughs> Hope they didn't really understand what was just read. I mean, this is... You know, the Bible gives us all sorts of sinful things that people do. And here's an example of one. And if I had any temptation to, you know, maybe combine this with... I mean, things change after this, right? Abraham goes somewhere else. And so here's the text. And here's what we're going to be looking at. Well, we read um, in Matthew 1 that genealogical record for our New Testament reading. And in that, there are listed, among all these numerous names, there are five women. Four of which are named, and two of which aren't even Israelites. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, uh, Bathsheba, who is called in the, in the geneal- genealogy the wife of Uriah. Her name isn't even given, but it's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. And, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And what is also striking is that for each of these, there are things that seem, seem morally suspect, at least in appearance, if not in actuality. Consider, for example, Mary. Mary was not married to Joseph when she became pregnant with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Tamar tricked her father-in-law, Judah, into getting her pregnant by playing a prostitute. 
Rahab, was indeed a prostitute by trade and a Canaanite. And Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, a nation which came into existence through immorality, and she slept at the feet of Boaz at the threshing floor, which those whose minds reside in the gutter will wink at as if something untoward had happened there. In each of these cases, God worked through these women to bring about His plan of salvation in the coming of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And not only these, but many other people as well, men and women. God, in His good providence, put into place the very people and the very nations which would lead to the coming of the Son of God, even working through the sinful actions of men. And this is the theme of the story that's before us. Two nations which are born. Born through the sinful actions of the daughters of Lot. And God is faithful. Even when we are faithless. For from these two women come these two nations of Moab and Ammon. And these two nations, these two nations will impact Israel. They will impact the history of Israel in a negative sense but also play a role in redemptive history in a positive sense. You see, God shoots straight with our bent arrows. God will often make our crooked paths straight. And He does this for His glory and for our good as He fulfills His sovereign decrees. And so now as we come to our, this last section of Genesis chapter 19, we also are coming to the end of Lot's narrative. Lot won't be mentioned again in the Old Testament, except for the phrase, the descendants of Lot. He does not seem to rejoin Abraham. He goes off on his own. Lot's story in the scriptures has been a mixed bag. And quite honestly, most of what we read about Lot has been his foolishness. Now, of course, we have to remember that Lot is called righteous Lot. He's considered a believer, and yet, even as a believer, he kind of does his own thing. He goes his own way. He goes out from among the covenant community. Lot is much like so many Christians, even our own day, who separate themselves from the life of the church and go out on their own and do their own thing. Lot did little for his own spiritual good or for the spiritual good of his family. That becomes fairly evident as you look at what happens to his family. Lot the nephew of Abraham, left the blessings of the life of the covenant community at the side of his uncle for temporal comforts of the well-watered valley. This was, of course, due to the quarreling between his servants and the servants of Abraham over grazing and water rights. It seems, though, he was not in the valley for very long before he settled into the city of Sodom, a place which was well known for its exceeding wickedness. Now, we don't know the reasons for this, but part of his story involves the need of Abraham to rescue him and the kings of the valley when they were attacked by kings from the east. Later still, after having been installed as some sort of leader within the city, uh, probably a judge, 
we find Lot at the city gates of Sodom, where two angels of God come to his house and then warn him of the coming judgment from God. Lot was to flee from that city, lest he and his family be swept away in the destruction. And we also read about Abraham pleading, pleading with the Lord on behalf of Lot. In fact, throughout the whole course of the narrative between Abraham and Lot, Abraham has been so very gracious to Lot. Remember, Abraham gave him first choice of the best land. Abraham raised an army to rescue Lot from the other kings. Abraham pleaded with God not to destroy Sodom, because of the, the righteous, may, which may still be in that place. Abraham had sought to bless and to protect his nephew, even after Lot had left him. And the Lord, the Lord was so gracious to Lot, caring for him and protecting him. We saw this last time as God mercifully led God, Lot by the hand out of Sodom prior to his destruction. Remember, remember Lot was lingering in the city. And it says that the, the angels grabbed him and his family by hand and led him out of the city because the Lord was merciful to him. But even then, even as Lot was instructed to flee to the hills, he then tries to negotiate the place of his refuge, saying, well, let me, let me go to Zor instead. It's a little city. It's a little place. Let me go there. But then we also see he doesn't remain in Zor very long. This is really where we pick up the story. Lot and his two daughters, who they're all that's left of his immediate family as they fled from Sodom. Remember, the sons-in-laws didn't believe Lot, and so they died in the destruction. Lot's wife, uh, desiring to return to Sodom, looks back and is turned into a pillar of salt. And so it's Lot, his two daughters, and they go to Zor. And it says in verse 30, Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. Now, at first, Lot wanted to go to Zor. In fact, he begged the angels to let him go there. But it wasn't long before he became afraid of that place. And so he left Zor and went to the hills. Now, Moses, the author of Genesis, doesn't tell us why Lot was afraid. We don't know for sure why Lot was afraid to remain in Zor. Perhaps he discerned the Sodomite-like lifestyle of the Zorites. And so he anticipated that at some point in the future, that place was going to be overthrown as well. Once again, it is illustrated to us Lot's lack of faith in the Lord who had promised to protect him. So Lot leaves Zor and he lives in a cave. He lives in a cave like a hermit with his two daughters. How far Lot has fallen from the wealth and prestige and position he had previously held. He lived remotely, away from other men. He lived in a cave with just his two daughters. And of course his living situation will play a role in what is to come. Now we might ask at this point, why doesn't Lot return to his uncle's side? 
Well, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know why that is, but it's, a, it's an appropriate question for us to consider. I mean, he was blessed when he was with Abraham, and now he's ruined. Why not return? Well, we don't know. Nothing is said. But we do read is the portrayal of Lot as faint-hearted and vacillating. Even though he is a believer, he, he has a very weak faith. He doesn't, he doesn't trust the Lord to protect him in the hills. He doesn't trust the Lord to protect him in Zor. And now he's out on his own in the wilderness. This once wealthy herdsman with so many flocks and herds that he had to separate from Abraham. Who, this, this man who had been the judge of the city in Sodom has now been reduced to living in a cave with what little he had. And by the way, the place of his residence is not incidental. He's reached rock bottom. Caves, you see, were used in the Old Testament either for graves or for places of refuge, for refugees. And so the picture which has now come into greater focus is that Lot has been completely ruined. And Lot's advanced age and now his reclusive lifestyle meant the end of his family line. Lot had no sons. He had only two daughters. And even they were deprived of husbands and children. For their future husbands, thinking that Lot was only joking with them, died in the destruction of Sodom. And in this place where they lived, there were no men to marry. There was no one to have children with. The cave then was a place to hide and to live out what was left of their miserable existence. But Lot's older daughter had other ideas. And she conceives of a solution, a terribly immoral one, in order to provide a son for her father. And, of course, children for herself. And so she says to her younger sister, Come. Let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that he may preserve offspring from our father. As one commentator puts it, the intention to preserve the family line was honorable, but the means of incest was deplorable. The daughter's actions serve as an example of people doing what is right in their own eyes. What Lot's daughters were doing would have consequences. The daughter's goal to preserve the family line, though commendable on one level, was born out of fear and not faith. Much like the actions of her father. Her immoral and self-willed choice contrasts again with with Abraham and Sarah's faith, who, who was to bring life from their nearly dead bodies. Remember, Sarah has been bearing her whole life and the Lord was providing a child. Indeed, children learn the lessons of their parents, don't they? They learn the lessons of the community which they live in. Abraham was to teach his children justice and righteousness. We saw that uh, last week. Lot had settled his family in Sodom where they were taught very different lessons. 
Lot's son-in-laws mocked him. His daughters thought that the manner of the earth was to have children with their father, even if it meant getting him drunk first so that he'd go along with it. There's another interesting parallel with this account, and that is with the account of Noah's drunkenness after the fall. There, Noah's son Ham lewdly looks upon Noah's nakedness. Here, Lot's daughters get him drunk, and they lie with him. Suffice to say, Lot's daughters show a lack of faith in God. The oldest saying, Here is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. There's no men around. We have no, we have no chance here. She has no hope for a husband. So, she figures... I can have children with my own father. Her standards are based not on the covenant community. Her standards are based not on the word of God. Her standards are based on the manner of the world, even as she conceives of it. That said, even the world would largely reject the standard. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, writes of a sexual immorality which was being tolerated in the Corinthian church in which a man had his father's wife. This was a kind of immorality, he says, that is not even tolerated among the pagans. Recently, a number of men searched the woods searching for lost cattle. And as we were walking through the dense woods, I thought about how easy it would would be to become lost. Um, I, I didn't have a compass or GPS. And the thick forest can be very disorienting if you don't know where you're going and you have no points of reference. And I thought, I thought to myself, you know, uh, a, fu- a compass or a functioning GPS would be very handy at this point. But what if you don't have a compass or the one that you have is wrong? When we make the standards of this world our moral compass, then that compass will be very confused and disorienting. The world's standards will get you lost in the woods of morality. No longer will you have right categories or proper categories. You will be led astray and you will become lost in a forest of moral subjectivity. If you don't have the right compass, the Word of God, if you are using the standards of the world, then good luck finding your way. You will be lost. Quite frankly, the solution for many then is to become a pragmatist. And this is the very thing that Lot's daughters are. Well, what can we do? Well, here's a solution. It's a very pragmatic solution. Let's just sleep with our father and have children that way. The world has many lessons to teach. But mainly, they're not good. Now, this is not to say that the unbeliever is wrong about everything. God's common grace reaches even the pagan. Nevertheless, the great moral questions of our day are not answered by the manner of the earth. It is this sort of thinking which leads Christians to sacrifice the word of God upon the altar of the spirit of the age. In the end... Lot's daughters act just as wickedly as the men of Sodom had, continuing in their sexual immorality. And sadly, the children of Lot 
We'll continue this in their interactions with Israel. We read about this in Numbers chapter 25, where the people begin to whore with the daughters of Moab and begin to sacrifice to their gods and bow down to them, and saying this, Thus the men of Israel yoked themselves to Baal, a pure, and invoked the anger of the Lord. That's where the manner of the world will take you. You begin to, to worship false gods. And so with the plan having been made, the daughters put it into action. Now the fact that incest was deplorable was probably understood by the daughters. Why do we think this? Well, you'll notice they don't try to convince Lot. Hey, you know, Dad, we have an idea for you. What do you think about this? They say, let's get Dad drunk. And then he won't know. They don't try to convince him that this is a good way to continue the line. They trick him. Just as Noah was humiliated by Ham, Lot is humiliated by his own daughters. The difference is that Noah knew what happened to him afterwards. He was aware. But we read here that Lot was not aware. Verse 33 says, He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The narrator makes it clear that hapless Lot was sexually exploited by his own daughters and he never even knew it. I suppose as his daughters uh, began to have these children growing, he he might have looked at them and thought, you know, honey, you're you're gaining a little weight. (laughs) You'd think Lot would get clued in at some point. Well, the next day, the the older daughter tells the younger to do the very same as she had done. And so the same procedure is followed. They trick him again into getting drunk. Then she lay with him. And again, he was unaware when she came and when she left. The man who would offer his daughters up to to be known by gang rapists, here does not even know that he had gotten them pregnant. Lots of mess. And by the way, you might remember from last week I said, you know, we're kind of like lots. <laughs> we're kind of hapless in our Christian walk sometimes, too. This is, by the way, why we need the covenant community. Well, the next day, um, well, okay, so we have the, the younger doing the same. Now, the execution of the daughters, the older daughter's scheme goes off without a hitch. The text says both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. So both of them are pregnant. The two daughters bore sons who would be the fathers of two of Israel's neighbors. The firstborn bore a son and she named him Moab, which means from our father. You'll note, she doesn't necessarily try to hide where he came from. I will name our son from our father. Dad, meet your son and grandson. (laughs) From our father. The younger bore a son, and she named him Ben-Ami, which means son of my people, or son of my close kin. It's interesting that they don't seem to try to hide the incest (laughs) which brought about these two sons. Genesis, then, is providing the origin story for the Moabites and the Ammonites, two people who Israel will have hostilities with over the years. Remember, but they were remembered forever as the descendants of Lot, whose land was a gift from the Lord. 
See, Moab and Ammon were granted special concessions from God, particularly as the Israelites were uh, conquering the land. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, we read that as the children of Israel were preparing to come into the land after their exodus from Egypt, the Lord instructed them, do not harass Moab or contend with them. God even looked after Moab. The Lord had given to the people of Lot a possession of their own. And yet, despite a level of blessing from the Lord, the Ammonites and the Moabites were excluded from the assembly of the Lord. And it wasn't because of their incestuous origins, but because they did not help Israel in their time of need. Deuteronomy chapter 23 says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt, because they hired against you. Later on, the Moabites and the Ammonites were used by the Lord to judge Israel during the period of the judges. In the cycle of judgment, uh, when Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, essentially, and all the people did was right in their own eyes, right? They continually were doing evil. Moab, uh, the Moabites and the Ammonites were sent out against Israel by God. And so throughout history, these two nations, these sons of Lot, fought with Israel. At times, they were also friendly with Israel. The hostilities between these nations lasted up even to the time of the Maccabees. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of years. Nevertheless, God cared even for the Moabites and the Ammonites. And there were even some who were enfolded into Israel, like Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She was the daughter. She was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And when her husband died, she went with Naomi back to the land of Israel. And it was there that she and her family land was redeemed by Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. And Ruth and Boaz, of course, are the grandparents of David, who was king of Israel. And of course, also in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, helpless, hapless, sinful, foolish Lot is in the family tree of our Savior. God works through all kinds of people to accomplish His will, doesn't He? Lot was a ruined man. He had chosen to live in the valley. He had chosen to live in the wicked city of Sodom. His salvation from destruction was on account of the pleadings of Abraham. And so here we see playing out the promise of God to Abraham. All of the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Even Moab and Ammon were blessed by Abraham. The nations which would come from Lot. The nations which would later fight with Israel owe their existence, at least in part, to Abraham's intervention on behalf of Lot. Not just once, but twice. And further, all the nations of the earth are blessed by Abraham. Because through him and through his seed, and also through the families which contributed to his life, and these actions brought about 
the Savior, Jesus. And within the larger context of Genesis, we, we've read of Abraham and Sarah being informed of the promise of God that they would in due time have a son and that through that son would come a great nation. And this promised son stands in contrast with the actions of men, two women in fact, who take matters into their own hands to gain a son. So there's the contrast for you. God's promise or taking, it in, taking matters into her own hands. These two sons will become nations just as the son of Abraham would. And as I already noted, nations which would at times rival Israel and cause her great grief. And yet of those nations, members of those nations would play a role in the life of the covenant people. As I've mentioned already, showing up even in the genealogy of our Savior Jesus. Which is to say that God takes men's foolishness and accomplishes His will. This has really been the theme throughout most of the story of Lot. Lot has been foolish. Lot does a lot of dumb things. His daughters were foolish. But God can and does use the foolishness of men to accomplish His will. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Which is to say that if we were to consider God's providence, one might be tempted to think that we have a better idea of how things ought to go. Which, by the way, is pretty arrogant, isn't it? Hey God, I have a better plan than you do. Hmm. You think, I don't do that. I mean, that's dumb. Who would do that, right? Hmm. Mm-hmm. But the foolishness of God, if, there, if that were actually possible, is wiser than the wisdom of men. God knows better than you and I, even on our best days. His wisdom is greater. His wisdom is more wise. And we should trust Him and take Him at His word. And so when you and I look at the state of the world, we may find ourselves feeling discouraged. You ever ever feel discouraged? In that moment, you might be thinking, Lord, I think i got a better plan. We do that sometimes, don't we? We may wonder how God could allow such horrible, wicked things to happen and even to reign in this world. Perhaps we think we know better how things ought to go. God, I have a better plan. We're all guilty of this. But be encouraged, Christian. For God is accomplishing His will in His way and to His glory, even through foolishness, even through the wickedness of men. God is sovereign over all things. Even the devils ultimately must do His bidding. And so what has been recorded here is another example of God's providence We've seen this really throughout our study in Genesis, particularly as it relates to Abraham and Sarah. The relationship between the providences of God and the promises of God, which, as we've, been, as we've pointed out multiple times, sometimes seem to be in opposition to one another. How, how, how could God promise these things? And look at, the, look at these providences. How, how is this ever going to work, God? What have you done? 
Here, though, as we look to the the future beyond this text, we see how God's providence here is just one more piece which is being brought about to come for the coming of the Messiah and the King. You see, Jesus' birth, death, birth, life, death, and resurrection from the dead, these are not just incidental events. These are not just random events that come up. God sovereignly rules and overrules in order to accomplish His will. The Son of God came at just the right time to bring about the salvation of souls. And you and I, we can look at this and we can just marvel. We can just marvel at the smallest details, the the tiniest minutia of details which God has worked out to accomplish His will. Even using the foolishness of two daughters of Lot which ultimately lead to Ruth, which ultimately lead to Jesus. On the surface, it may seem like there's not much to see in this account of Lot and his daughters. In fact, maybe some of you are like, yeah, I kind of want to read past this one. What's what's there here for me, right? Come on, I I, I say these things. I know know how you are because I know how I am. You're like, this is uncomfortable to read about. But, you know, in the greater scheme, God was working out His plan of redemption. Even through such a small detail. Seemingly insignificant little event. In this way, our, our faith can be strengthened. And our trust in His Word can be reinforced. And here's what's really wonderful. Jesus Christ came to save foolish sinners such as you and I. What a Savior. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise your name. We're so thankful for all of the small details of life which you work out. We see this in your scriptures, how you even take sinful, the sinful actions of men to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Is this, is this not true in our own life now? Are you not working all things to your glory? Father, help us to trust you. Help us to believe your promises as we look forward to the day in the new heavens and new earth when all things are made new. But in the meantime, help us not be as hapless lot. Help us to be strengthened in our faith. Help us to trust in our King Jesus. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.